What's up, guys? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode two, two, three. And uh, <laughs> if I'm wrong, I'm sure John can go in there and edit that later. But I'm pretty confident that's what we're on. Aha. Uh-huh. I think, I think it is 223. That sounds right. That sounds right. Okay. So let's just go with it. So yeah, that's what this is. This is Movie Schmovie yes. two two three. <laughs> Sounds like a that sounds like a bad like TV pilot that never took off. Movie movie yeah. two two three. Yeah, right. Two two three. It's a prequel to two two seven. <laughs> right, right. That's it. It takes place down the block. <laughs> How's everybody doing? I'm doing good. How about you, Ronald? I'm pretty good. Um, I'm glad to be recording with you guys, man. It's it's been quite some time. It's been it's honestly made me a little like I get a little agitated because I don't have anybody to talk to about movies. You know, I, I like to talk to you guys. You know, about movies, and I've been I've been missing your opinions. I get backed up the same way. Yeah, for sure. Not, not just movies, just anything. Just life. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Just in case people are wondering why it's been so long, we were going to have a second episode in September, but we didn't quite get it together before I went on vacation, and then that set us back a week, and now here we are catching up. So maybe we'll try to get three episodes out in October just to let everybody know that we love them since we only had one episode out in September. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if that sounds good to you guys. Gonna try to get a couple more in because you know it's such a big time for us. There's horror movies to talk about. We always have a Halloween themed episode. Yeah. Um, there's been the possibility. I don't know if you guys are still considering watching all the Candyman films for an episode. Does that sound like something we could do this month? I'm very down. What about you, Steve? Very very down. That sounds fun. Okay, so that's coming up, folks. You heard it here first. We just made a plan. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a. Uh... It's very true, the idea of, like, uh, you realize, like, how many people, like, I really genuinely deeply talk to with about movies, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, you know, I do have friends that are into movies like I am, but nowhere near to the level of conversation that we have on this podcast, so yeah, it's definitely a, it's a nice uh, outlet for all of us, obviously, but I find myself, like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we got the Facebook thread, and people I work with or, you know, people I just like, you know, see regularly. And we chit chat about a lot of the more mainstream things that most people, you know, may have seen on TV or in an internet ad or, uh, you know, like a preview in a theater or something like that. But it's, uh, it's definitely cool to be able to kind of catch up and get it all out there. Um, whatever we've seen over these past two or three weeks and, uh, looking forward to that right now. Yeah. Like when we were talking on Facebook, John, you were like, let's call this, we're still here. Which is great because, like, yeah, that's a very true statement, and uh, and hopefully we can get some extra content out this month uh, since it is such a great month for us and uh, one of our favorites of the year. So, yeah, I'm glad we could get this together today for sure. Yeah, another option I thought of since we are going to talk about some trailers for some upcoming films. Um, I thought Into the Trailer Verse would also be <laughs> an acceptable title. I like it. if that's what we end up going with, I'm down with that too. But but it remains to be it, it remains true that we are still here. So yes, we are still here, and I'm still John. And I'm Steve. I'm Ron. So yeah, trailers. What's up? The one thing I was going to say about trailers as a general concept is that, um, uh, like there are some people I think who don't like to watch trailers or who think the trailers somehow ruin the film 
or view them as spoily. Right. And I know people who, for various reasons, don't watch or don't like trailers. And I was wondering, where do you guys sit on that general feeling of, would you be happy just to walk in to see a movie with no trailer, no nothing, just, just knowing that you want to see it based on what it is and who's making it? Or do you feel like you get something out of the trailer and it kind of gooses your excitement and, and kind of keeps you fed in a way that if you're anticipating something, it's, it's kind of painful to wait, but a trailer maybe helps you out with that wait. Man, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I th- personally, I feel like I'm definitely on the side of like, I want to watch all the trailers. Um, I just love getting a taste of all the movies that are coming up. I think especially in today's landscape where there's tons of movies coming out every weekend, it kind of um, outside of reading about things and hearing about casting and, you know, production you know, woes or like, you know, cool stuff that we read online. There's so much that comes out now that like, you know, sometimes you want to see, or at least me, I I can say, I'd like to see that visual, whether it's a teaser or a full length trailer, like some sort of representation of what's coming up. Cause I mean, it kind of helps me prioritize what I really want to see. I mean, ideally sure. I would love to go in to a movie completely cold and really not know much about it. Um, except for the fact that maybe I like the director or I like who's in it or whatever. Um, but one, I don't have the willpower to do that. And two, I just, like I said, I feel like there's so much stuff out there now, like three to four movies coming out every Friday that it's like, well, what's my priority? And, and usually that's kind of, you, you're getting that impression. I'm getting that impression usually from some sort of visual of, a st- of the style, of the tone of the movie, of some of the performances of, you know, that I can look forward to. So I, I definitely fall on the side of, you know, I'm pro trailer. I usually watch o- almost all of them. There's been a couple that I've kind of not watched too often, or I don't watch every trailer that ca- comes out for a movie because, like you said, they can be a little spoilery. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where I feel like I'm falling with the whole trailer conversation. What about you, Ronald? Do Do you like trailers, or do you kind of view them as a necessary evil? I I think I think they definitely are a necessary evil. I think the way that um they're being pushed us should be rethought. Um, but I guess I'll start with the whole idea of a trailer. Um, I think there's still some element of um, surprise and like sort of group excitement when it comes to trailers that I feel like yeah. it, it almost has intensified in our in our kind of landscape of digital media. I I remember when trailers used to come out back when you know youtube was kind of in its infancy there wasn't really quite the excitement that we have now when something comes out when there's a new trailer for something when disney drops a new trailer when there's a controversial trailer one that doesn't look quite as good as we anticipated that brings people in and you can see statistically especially as of late the whole disney wave and comic book wave and uh, biopics and things that are kind of coming along, there still is this crazy excitement about all that stuff. Now, with that said, I don't think the teaser trailer should exist anymore. I don't think the whole idea of like whatever the teaser is supposed to be doesn't feel quite like a teaser anymore. Whatever the the sort of slow game of easing you into the story, showing a couple images that's not a teaser anymore that um, you're basically right. getting a fraction of a trailer, a full trailer. That's maybe <laughs> a minute and a half versus the three minutes, four minutes that you get with the full trailer. And that doesn't feel like a tease. It just feels like somebody lazily 
cut the first four minute and a half of the four minute trailer, gave it to us, and then they just let us see the rest when the other one comes out. So, yeah, yeah I feel like teasers give you tone, and then the first real trailer gives you a little bit of the right. story. And I think especially with the kind of tentpole movies you're talking about, you get a sense of, okay, the teaser is there almost to say, look at what we've got right now. Look at the best footage we've got right now to get you into the mood of what this movie is. And then usually coming out of the teaser, there's all these people making assumptions as though they already know exactly what the movie is. Right. And so people get <laughs> up in arms about what the movie is or isn't. And, and then there's all this speculation and then there's articles unpacking that. And then there's a trailer that gives you a little bit more of a story. I would enjoy watching a movie completely cold and I've done it before on purpose. And it is a great experience. But I think for me, as we've just said, being part of the conversation and having a lot of people that you kind of want to go in depth with, you sort of feel like if there's information out there to have, you want to have it. Yeah. I'd be fine if they didn't put so much information out. But if it's out there, I kind of want to know what's going on just so I can be up to date in my thinking. And especially because we do this show. If I wasn't going to talk about movies in this way, I don't know that I would feel as compelled to keep up with things. But uh, I've always enjoyed getting that taste. I've always been like, okay, if you you know, if, if you can give me a little more, give me a little more. If you're going to give me a little peek, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. If know? it's actually a teaser, I'm down. If it's actually done in that order that you just described, that's a best case scenario. But I feel like every studio isn't doing it quite as well. But that is a, a best case scenario. That is that is how you kind of take it. And I do love teasers if it's done well. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like, I feel like we talked recently about... Uh the teasers and then versus like the trailer for uh, if Beale Street could talk, you know, and I, and I mean, we talked, you know, you mentioned it in context of like tentpole movies. And I feel like that's probably where those kinds of things benefit the most. I feel like a, a teaser trailer that kind of, you know, is showing you a character or showing you a world briefly just to kind of like, you know, whether it's a, a taste of the tone or to see that iconic character or whatever the, that tentpole might be. Like, it definitely plays better to that type of film, I think, because, like, in the case of Beale Street, like, I feel like I, I really didn't like the teaser trailer, because I feel like it falls more into what Ronald's describing, where, like, you literally, it, it's giving you more of, like, you know, a minute and change of a, of a three-minute trailer, where if, if it wasn't ready, I just feel like the impression is so much stronger to see that full trailer and to better sell the movie, because, I mean, like I said, it's there's so much coming out. That, you know, if somebody's going to watch one trailer of a film that they knew nothing about and it's only the teaser and it's like not a good teaser or it tries to be a trailer and really doesn't, you know, provide enough to hook someone who maybe wasn't already sold on it. I feel like it's kind of a moot point at that step, you know, because I mean, it's not really accomplishing anything. And uh, that was the most recent example of where like the teaser looked good to me and like I, I love Barry Jenkins and I'm, I look forward to pretty much whatever he puts out. Um, but it wasn't until I saw that full trailer that I was like really, really physically and emotionally moved by what that story is. And I'm not familiar with the book it's based on. And I am super excited to see that movie now based off the full trailer, which that teaser, you know, not that it turned me off, but somebody who's not talking about Barry Jenkins films. I don't know, you know, that that teaser trailer accomplishes as much as a teaser might for a tentpole versus what a full the what the full length trailer for that title you know did for me and for much of what I saw on social media people really positively reacting to that full length trailer for that movie the teaser came out and i i thought it was really arresting and and i i guess maybe i was carrying forward the way i felt in in moonlight as right. far as just 
being emotionally devastated. And so I was kind of getting hints and clues of how he might be doing that to me again. Right. Um, but I, I, I think it's an interesting thing you're kind of suggesting there, which is that like um, Barry Jenkins new film if bill street could talk that right there has you interested right exactly the teaser doesn't do much more than just kind of add some imagery to that idea whereas the trailer definitely gives you much more of a sense of what the movie might be and i was going to second what you said i noticed not many people talking about the teaser and then suddenly all these people i knew were were saying like oh my gosh barry jenkins has a new movie coming out when the when the trailer came out right right i mean i think it it it, it hit a nerve perhaps because it was selling more of a of a thing yeah I get that. Yeah. yeah so. Let's get into some upcoming movies. Let's do it. You want to get started with The Mule? Yeah, I think that's the most recent one that kind of came out today, the day we're recording this podcast. It dropped this afternoon, which is the new Clint Eastwood movie, um, which there was a lot of speculation around whether or not it would be coming out this year or not. If, I think it was like that movie and Scorsese's The Irishman, like they were both kind of big conversations about whether they would try to make the deadline for Oscar eligibility. And uh, recently, I think it was confirmed that the Irishman's definitely a 2019 release, but the mule gets a date and a couple days later gets a trailer. So, I mean, that was pretty, pretty baller on Warner brothers part to kind of get that announcement out and get this trailer locked and loaded. Um, and surprisingly, like I, I was like super into this trailer, which surprised the shit out of me. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of most of what Clint Eastwood has done as a director, with the exception of maybe two, two or three movies. Like the the only one I genuinely love is Mystic River, which is like one of my favorite movies ever. But I mean, more recently, I haven't really been into much of what he's been putting out. Um, but uh, yeah, this trailer, yeah, I'm definitely interested in this film now. I knew not, I didn't know much about it. I didn't know much about the story. A little bit knew a little bit about the casting, but um, it's cool to see a really like Diane Weist and Michael Pena, Bradley Cooper, and obviously Clint Eastwood. Um, but it's a cool story, and I mean, I think that again, we talk about like the tone of the movie looks really kind of interesting to me. There, there's a little bit of a sense of like a ticking clock happening in this trailer, and I don't know how that plays into the movie, but I, I like that idea. Yeah, it seems to be the story of an old guy who breaks bad, basically. Yeah, <laughs> an old yeah. guy who um. <laughs> Who, due to financial problems, resorts to uh, carrying drugs across the border and getting involved with uh, some cartel. I've been deep into watching Better Call Saul lately, and so something about the storyline, if not the tone, did make me think, oh, this kind of feels like something that would happen in that world, where somebody would just get in over their head. Right. Um, with these nefarious characters. What did you think of the movie? I know, Ronald, you said something about the trailer looking good, but you're not a big fan of Eastwood's politics. Yeah, <laughs> which, which can affect... Uh, me watching things, but I mean, Clint Eastwood tackling something that actually happened um, always piques my interest when somebody tackles something that's based on a true situation. So I'm 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 down. I'm down. And this cast, he casted the shit out of. I mean, whoever was the casting director for this really seemed to have hit it on on all levels. You got you got people that can do both drama and some levity in between. And I think that this is going to be a tug of war in those two places. I, I, I like the idea of uh, a man that gets desperate and this doesn't look like it's going to have a good ending <laughs> at all. Yeah, and really. I like, I like, I like <laughs> that he's leaning into that in the trailer. I like that. It's kind of implying that regardless of 
you know, it, he may be alive, but it, it whatever he's doing is going to ruin everything around him. And I love stories right, right, like definitely. that. Um, and I love characters that try to redeem themselves and still kind of fall short of their goals. And this this seems like it it's a cool enough, flawed enough character that I think it's gonna it's it could be up for some stuff. What do we know about the screenwriter Nick Schenk? Is he? Anybody? I don't know much. I don't know. I'm sure to his. I'm sure to his mother, he's somebody. <laughs> so he wrote Gran Torino. Yeah, I was saying, the only thing I, I remember his name from was Gran Torino. Yeah. So there's a possibility the movie might be racist. <laughs> <laughs> might be. <laughs> what else? Um, what about Vice? Oh come on. Okay, Vice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was shocked that you hadn't seen that when we discussed it earlier, Ronald. I was like, uh, "What do you mean you haven't seen Vice trailer?" I think I think what happened was I saw the subject matter, and it was right after I, I got my my text that everybody got at the same time from uh, <laughs> Mister Forty Five, and I was like, "You know what? I'm not in the mood to see this." And then, you know, I, I, I really do trust you guys' opinion. So, like, once once you say, hey, you got to see, there were caps involved. I was like, man, there's caps yeah. on my texts. I need yeah, to check this serious. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about this movie, man. I'm very excited so about yeah, it. So, yeah, it's Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney, and it looks like he's transformed himself again. Um, he doesn't quite look exactly like Dick Cheney, but he looks close enough, and the 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 performance looks really compelling and the the movie's take on the character kind of presenting him in this ironic way as as like a rock star and a really a really cool guy i mean i just felt the sarcasm oozing out of the frame <laughs> knowing adam mckay's political stance which sure. i think is really what makes this movie interesting yeah yeah for sure this is not going to be a um a flattering portrayal by any means oh wow no i kind of i kind of felt like he looked more like him in the, in the older like when he's older cheney yeah, yeah, I think so too. I, I I feel like a lot of that stuff in the trailer, like in terms of looking like him, actually, like I feel like some of the younger stuff. Yeah, it's definitely Christian Bale. But like, I don't know. The more I watch the trailer, like the the conversation as he's an older man, like that stuff, I thought he looked definitely a lot more like uh, like Dick Cheney. But yeah, I mean, again, I'm, like just Adam McKay's voice, I, you know, whether it's the how he's talking about his political views or just the comedy or the tone that he brings to his movies like you know I love the big short a few years ago and uh again you know his his narrative on a true thing that happened and you know this looks to do the same and Sam Rockwell as George W Bush looks incredible for sure you know he gets these amazing casts together and I'm sure you know there's going to be people popping up throughout the movie that they don't even promote you know when any of the marketing cuz I know I was listening to um a podcast recently that Bill Pullman was on, and apparently he's in the movie as one of the Rockefeller. Like, I think it's Nelson Rockefeller. Oh wow! Which I, I haven't seen anywhere. I think he like talked about it on this podcast, and maybe he wasn't supposed to. But um, yeah, like you know, Steve Carell is Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld, and uh, Amy Adams. I don't know. It just yeah, he gets these great casts again. Same thing. Like he's like one of these directors that assembles this amazing cast. It's such an interesting story, and I and I love the way that he told the big short and um you know and i i look forward to you know seeing how this story comes up in, in his movie and like kind of how he goes about approaching it but it's supposed to i mean it's supposed to be really good i mean like i was following a couple threads on twitter where like they did a test screening for it 
And uh, McKay was like writing back to people that were tweeting about it. And it was pretty awesome because like people were going nuts over it. And, you know, it wasn't even done at that point. And I think that's when it was still called Backseat. Uh, but, um, which is a cool title. It is. It this is. is good it too. Is. Um, but yeah, man, I'm so excited for this movie. You think Will Ferrell's going to play Janet Reno? <laughs> <laughs> that would Maybe be amazing. Those, like little keep, keep it in the pocket and let, let people have their minds blown. Yeah. Right. No, I'm ready for that. When you showed me that, and it's funny that we were mentioning, um, Scorsese's film, the Irishman. Yeah. Because the big short was very Scorsese in, in terms of how it approached an issue with, with a lot of style and a lot of sort of breaking away from the story at hand to kind of give you context and, and, and having a narrative voice that sets you into this world. So to me, yeah. the fact that Adam McKay is tackling this, this feels like sort of a combination of an Oliver Stone movie and a Scorsese film, you know, with totally. what looks to be Adam McKay's kind of humor thrown in. And yeah, the cast, the big short to me is just such an indication that this material could be very well handled by him. Yeah. Right. Adam McKay uh, in the big short, I think that people kind of don't think so much about how complicated of a situation that was and how well he articulated what it was, how it affected yes. America and all that stuff. Yeah. And for real, that's like a, that is a skill. It's almost the equivalent of like what comedians do with big, serious issues and finding the humor in it. I right. think there's a gift in that. And and I think that I've watched a lot of movies that tackle a subject, maybe show how it affects America, but they don't really do a good job of explaining what it is. So it's so it's almost like you have to have the core knowledge of the event come into the movie and then you'll enjoy it. And this and uh the big short seems like movies where even if you have no knowledge of the housing market, even if you have no knowledge of who Dick Cheney is, this movie will explain that and how he's, he's affected America. And that, that's something kind of beautiful about that. I don't see that very Definitely. often. And I think yeah. that makes him an incredible writer, director. Having a point of view, who would have thought it? <laughs> who would have thought? I was going to just say the other thing I was thinking about um, mentioning these two movies first in the trailers. I think like both of them and even The Irishman, even though it's kind of off the forecast, but like, it's interesting coming out of the big like Telluride and you know uh, Toronto and a lot of the festivals here in the, that kick off the fall. You know, there's only a couple movies that really hadn't been seen in terms of even trailers. Um, so I think at this point, I mean, I can't really think of any other really big titles or kind of forecasted titles that are really kind of movies that would be in the Oscars conversation. You know, I think at this point, I. I feel like everything has either been screened or at least trailers are out for them now. So it's kind of like these two movies coming out this week with trailers, you know, in the first week of October, both with releases in December. It really kind of marks the end slash start of like the real conversation about um, what the next, you know, four months or whatever look like in terms of Oscars. And, you know, both films could end up factoring into it, you know, Eastwood's been to the party before a few times. McKay won an Oscar for the big for the script for Big Short. So I mean, it's it's interesting to see two movies completely different tone wise, but those were like the last big two that people were still kind of curious about and waiting to see something on. So I think both kind of had some pretty good representation in, in, in the trailers and, and then also note like both were like trailers, you know, like pretty good trailers. Like we are talking about at the start of the podcast, like you get an idea of the story of the tone 
of the characters, of the stakes. We won't know until we've seen these movies if these trailers actually are indicative, but they feel confident. Yeah. For instance, the trailer we're about to talk about, Rocket Man, I don't know that I get a very strong sense of what that movie is uh, from that. Me either, man. I feel like Taron Egerton's voice seems a little thin and that that's so front and center in the trailer. I'm not saying he doesn't have an adequate voice, but for the trailer, for the first big uh, look at this movie, it felt very stagey and, and kind of sketchy. And I just, I don't know if I quite bought him in the role of Elton John. Not that I've given a lot of thought to Elton John. What did you guys think <laughs> of Rocket Man, the trailer? Um, uh. <laughs> I felt about the same. Um, one thing that I was kind of pointing out to you guys is uh, people that are typically tough guys in movies um, have a hard time emoting on any level besides like anger and extreme emotions. I'll say that, right? So it seems like this is a movie that plays a lot in nuance and, and subtlety when it comes to like shifts in his attitude, feelings, heartache, um, realizations when it comes to his impact on his music, the impact of his music. And I don't know if he's capable of pulling that off. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. And one person that I cited uh, was Mark Wahlberg, who none of us are going to argue is a bad actor, but when it comes to subtlety, that's not a strong suit. Taron feels very similar. These tough guys, there are exceptions. There are people like Tom Hardy. I think Tom Hardy can do a little more than the average, um, but a lot of the yeah. tough guys can't do it. With those lips, Ronald, he, he's, he's got a very soft side to him. He's got a very soft, it's a soft lips. That's what it is. <laughs> but what do you guys think about that whole idea? Yeah, I definitely... I definitely think you're onto something, and I, I feel like we started this conversation in our on our message thread about like I was asking you like what what what's your take on him? Because I mean I feel like walking out of that trailer, I I don't know. Just initially, I I just don't I don't necessarily feel it um, with him playing Elton John. I feel like he's also kind of got a challenge on his shoulders because you know you come off of trailers. And, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the other movies that's coming out in December or, or November that, you know, you see a trailer with Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, and it's pretty impressive. Right. And, um, you know, and even films of the last decade that were, you know, biopics and of musicians, like whether it was whether they look just like them or whether they sound just like them or whether they had a mannerism that was down to the, you know, perfectly, you know, perfect impression or impersonation. You know, there's something about the performance and a lot of those musical pieces that are like, you know, oh yeah, that's totally, you know, Jamie Foxx is Ray Charles or, you know, Rami, Rami is a uh, Freddie Mercury or I don't even know what else. Um, but I guess my point is, is that like, you know, you're seeing all this marketing now for Bohemian Rhapsody, which it looks pretty, pretty impressive in terms of like the look of his performance and what you guys have said so far, I definitely agree with just in, I, I walk, I walk away from that just feeling like I don't know that I'm buying him as Elton John, who is such a big personality and has a very unique look and just, uh, an air to him that I don't feel like even in that teaser is really shining at all in the, in, you know, for that performance. And, um, and the voice, yeah, the vocal piece as well. It sounds like, you know, it's in a lower register a little bit, which doesn't kind of sound right to me. When it's such a distinctive voice, one of the one of the biggest pop voices of, of like of two decades. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. That aspect of 
what makes those other films so arresting, like Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, also is in a movie that looks pretty good. Like the the movie making looks interesting. The yeah. shots yeah. Yeah. are just more attractive. This felt kind of chintzy looking. And like I said, if you, if you go to see it and it's a big, bright, kind of splashy musical, I think maybe that energy could, could carry you through and you would see... This might be a case where... Um, this might be a case where a, a teaser is hurting it because this isn't a very complete look at what the movie might be. And it doesn't look like it's got any big scope or scale. And honestly, the, the non-performance shots of him, I was like, okay, maybe I can buy him. But then when he's actually at the piano and he's singing, it just was like, no, the, you know, whatever illusion they might have created was broken. Unlike the Rami Malek stuff where it really does feel like this guy has found the essence of Freddie Mercury in some in some way, you know yeah. that doesn't mean the movie's going to be great, but but that movie does look more Bohemian Rhapsody does look more like a movie, um, but it, it it also had a teaser that was kind of iffy, and then a trailer that was a lot more solid. So maybe that's just the maybe that's what we're picking up on is that teasers are are the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they, they they have to get the teaser out so that you don't forget that the movie exists, and that you know hopefully they you know hook you enough that you're you know it's resetting the clock on your 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 wait for this film or you know oh my god there's a rocket man movie about elton john now i know and you know it's like i don't know it's it's weird like how that that layering happens marketing wise because yeah i mean like elton john fan and i don't i don't really I, I i didn't i didn't find anything to really be all that impressive or exciting to me um i guess that's why they call it the blues yeah, that's <laughs> what they do call it and that's uh that's why he wrote a song i guess huh it's very true but I te- I'm um, telling you, that scene where he's playing the piano and he starts to f- kind of float and the crowd floats, I love that. I, 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 that's like the only thing I like about cool. the trailer. That could yeah. be really cool. If, if, that, if, that's a, if that's a choice in the movie, that, that, that could be kind of cool if it takes on that kind of like fantastical element, which he just, you know, he just oozes that, you know, that would be cool. Well, that's what I mean. If the movie has these kind of inventive sequences that are that are energetic, I don't think it will matter as much that he's not like just making you think, oh, that guy's Elton John. Because it's not about looking like him and it's not about sounding like him. You can capture the essence. Yeah. Uh, but I think what we're all saying is we don't feel that essence coming through in this uh, in this teaser. Yeah, I almost feel like if they did something like uh, for, for, his, for, for the kind of character and personality he is, I almost feel like something really... Um, out there, kind of like across the universe, mm. like kind of how wild. Whether you like that movie or not, I I happen to like it. But like, I, I just feel like you know, if you're having this performance where you know there's some reality to it, but then there's also some like fantastical elements to it that can kind of take you on a trip with the character. Like, I feel like that he's the kind of character and the kind of career and story that could, you know, that could be appropriate for. So, I mean, that could be an angle if they go for that. Yeah, I agree. But we'll see. What else we got? I think we got one more. Another Spider-Man universe, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The third non-connected Spider-Man universe, right? Yes. It's too Jesus much. Christ. It's too much. It's too uh, much. Man. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which actually, from the trailer, might be connected to the Tobey Maguire universe because if you look at Peter Parker's flashback, to his career, a lot of the images are sort of references yeah. to or taken from the Tobey Maguire movies. So I, I think that is a clever nod if if they do want to suggest that this version of Peter Parker is the is the older version of of that version 
of Peter Parker. Well, so then why not get yes. Tobey Maguire to voice it? Isn't he supposed to be an asshole or something? I mean, yes. I, I hate yes. to say that, but I feel like I've heard terrible things about him. So, Yeah, I've heard the same. Like, like, who would you invite over to the barbecue at your house? Would you invite Tobey Maguire or Jake Johnson? I think Jake Johnson, we oh, would all say yeah, that guy. Yeah, definitely. Seems Every like day. a much better hang. Every day. <clears throat> and I love Tobey Maguire in some things. But no, I think this this seems like a great take on the Peter Parker character, but that's not even the point of the movie at all. That's a, that's just the kind of thing that gets you into the concept. Um, Miles Morales, who's a big deal to comic readers, but I think movie audiences are about to are about to really fall in love with this character. I think this trailer looks great and fun and and inventive. And I mean, I'm, I'm about as excited for this as I am for anything coming up as far as that kind of like let me have an experience in the theater type of movie. This this is a beautiful looking movie. One of the first I've ever seen that captures the comic book style and, and has it moving in, in a way that feels very natural, but also still serves the purpose of how it looks in the comic book style. I think the really cool part about this, and, and this is something that I've kind of said to you guys way before I found out that this was a thing, the idea that it could be animated means that you could do anything in this world and it'll look cool. This is a thing that we've been kind of robbed of with special effects. You know what I mean? There's, there's literally special effects put on top of reality. So what that does is it kind of, you're handicapped a little bit. You can see that this large being that's beside this person doesn't look natural. Right. And because you have this this animated sort of style, everything's going to look like it matches tonally, lighting-wise. You know I talk about light a, lot, a bunch because it, it, it's jarring sometimes how bad some special effects are. I think we're going to see a movie that captures all of what Spider-Man is and still makes this, this enormous events happening around him look incredible at the same time, so... I'm excited. Yeah, I think it looks awesome. I mean, uh, to stay on brand with our conversation about teasers, I think when this first teaser came out, um, not only kind of just making people aware that this movie existed, because this is one of those things that came about during that Sony hack. I don't know if you remember, they were like, that was one of the elements in one of those hacked emails like that, that, that kind of broke before Sony was able to announce it at like one of their upcoming events that like that this was going to happen with Lord and Miller. And, um, but a lot of people forgot about it and myself included. I didn't really even remember that it was happening outside of seeing it on some like, you know, release schedules. But this was one where like the teaser trailer was like awesome. And like you're saying, Ronald, like the fact that it's animated, anything is possible. And like some of the shots in that teaser trailer were just like phenomenal. Like they looked amazing. And, uh, and, you know, the trailers that have come out since have only kind of expanded on what the story's about, introduced additional characters, set some more tone, you know, points for you. So, I mean, I think it looks really cool. The only thing I, I mean, I guess the only thing that I'm wondering is like, you know, with Venom coming out this week and, you know, Marvel doing their thing with Spider-Man, with the Avengers film next year and with his own film later that year, it's just like... It's weird to me, so it's so weird to me that like there's all these concurrent things happening for that property. And I almost wonder, like, not not even to the point of confusion, because I don't know that, you know, they care if people even care to understand each thing. And, you know, whether this ends up being tied to the Toby universe or um, even acknowledges the Andrew Garfield universe or, or whatever is happening right now. 
it's just kind of weird to me that there's like not a way to figure this this out so that like there's a way that it can all be you know existing together or I don't, I don't know i don't know how to exactly i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say it's just it's weird to me that like there's three things happening right now for the spider-man property all funneling through sony's thumbs up but two of the three are being put out by them and the other one's being put out by disney or by well actually i think they're still re- i don't know if they still release the spider-man movies but marvel just produces them i forget those how that all works yeah but like something just, like it's that just yeah, weird. you got it like, right there's such cool things happening for this for this character and like you know and even even though I'm not in this world but like the gaming world is on fire with the Spider-Man game which I've heard is amazing and everybody's been going nuts over it. So there's like there's like a moment happening across media for this character but it's just weird that like these these film properties are just like they just exist in in, in different tracks and it's I wonder if it's like almost oversaturating if they can't all play together. Um, and depending on how Venom does and, you know, what happens with Sony's little spinoff Spider-Verse that they're doing, um, from the Marvel stuff, like, I don't know, that's the only thing that concerns me with the movie is just that, like, you know, it's coming out two months after their Venom film and, you know, probably four to five months before the last of, you know, the next Avengers film. So it's, it's interesting that, that over the course of seven months, you're having, you're going to have three spider-man movies and then two months after avengers there's going to be another spider-man movie like it you know (laughs) when you think about it like that that's crazy between now and next july there's going to be four spider-man properties coming out in movie theaters in wide release however i don't think venom is is like i think venom is doing everything it can to seem connected but i don't think that audiences associate venom with spider-man as much as they will uh Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse as far as just the imagery that hits you and and the excitement for it. So I could see that being a huge movie because it's got like family appeal right around the holidays. Whereas Venom, people just aren't talking about it like it's a real thing, which is odd because Tom Hardy is a, a great uh, actor and can really make something work. So it's weird that he got to do a movie that's kind of tangential to this Spider-Man stuff that audiences tend to like, Spider-Man stuff, right. you know? And Venom just doesn't seem to have gotten that level of excitement. I don't know if your perception of it is different. I haven't seen anybody who seems really that hopeful about that movie it's weird because i mean i think for a while there they were trying to find a way to to have it tied into the tom holland spider-man and there was like rumors for a while that he had shot a a cameo for it um but i i don't think that that's in the film i haven't seen the film i don't know if that's in a stinger or something like that or if that even happened um i don't know i haven't seen it um time we're recording this it's just now hitting theaters somehow i feel like i would have heard if there was a stinger with tom holland in it. i mean i've been seeing a lot of people posting that the stinger is like really good oh well maybe but not not what it is though mm. most people that know the property know you know that there's a connection to spider-man and honestly i feel like part of sony probably thinks that you know if we can kind of keep this running until like the whole marvel deal ends like that's the way to get back in you know to kind of hopefully get a property together like that Cause, I mean, they have a couple other like movies in production right now that are still kind of tied to Spider-Man, but not tied to Spider-Man officially. But um, the fact that you know there's a Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire in it that has Venom in it, I mean, there's a connection there that people, <clears throat> you know, remember and or know. So it's it's challenging. I mean, they have to they have a, they have a challenge ahead of them on how to navigate it. But I'm just saying that when I say out loud that like over the next 
you know, whatever that equates to, eight or nine months, there's there's four movies coming out in wide release that have something to do with Spider-Man, whether they're tied together or not. It's wild. <laughs> no, you're right. It's crazy. It's crazy. I feel like DC's about to have that with the Joker, with all this stuff I'm hearing about. There's yeah. a Joker and Harley film, and then there's the Joaquin Phoenix, Todd Phillips movie, which I'm actually really excited about. Me too. Um, but I think that it is starting to sound kind of crazy over there. Sure. You know, they're throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. And also, it's a, it's a little bit more like the comics when you have different things going on. But I, I, I know what you're saying about how it's it's hard to think it wouldn't be either oversaturated or sort of confusing for people after a while as to just like whether they should give that much of a shit about Spider-Man when people were excited uh, when um, Spider-Man Homecoming came out because it was kind of a fresh take right. on it. But if we're suddenly sort of inundated with all this stuff, I think the benefit is that that most of it feels pretty different, you know? Like, Venom is Venom. Uh, this this Into the Spider-Verse movie looks like it's trying to create a whole new way of telling this story and a, and a way of bringing in concepts that the movies haven't done yet. And then you've got Infinity War. And, and even if it is oversaturating at that point, I think that the Spider-Man movie that comes after uh, Infinity War Part 2 or whatever it's called, Avengers 4, I think people will be curious to see that little taste of what is the aftermath. Yeah. So I think it is a little different, but it is crazy. To, I mean, I bet by next summer we will say to ourselves, okay, we're, we're done. <laughs> we're, we're done with Spider-Man, hopefully, for a while, right? <laughs> I'm curious to see how Spideyverse does, box office-wise. Me too. Me too. I think it's going to do really well because it's it's like kid friendly, and I think that is one of the things that really works with stuff like that, especially if it's like a, you know, it's like a kind of crazy concept. All the Spider Mans in one dimension and all that stuff. That's right. It's, it's kind of cool. No, it's crazy, and they've done it in the comics, and 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 it's an interesting assortment of characters, you know. Yeah. So it. It is something that I think uh, it is kind of a mind blowing thing to jump in with as your first movie. But man, I was gonna say, I was gonna bring up Kevin Feige. Um, I was actually <laughs> gonna say, man, Kevin Feige is gonna have to at some point come out and explain what's a part of the MCU and what's not. And I know that's because what what people are doing is they're crediting these movies to his established successful world and they're like well you know venom's a venom's part of the dc mcu so they do make duds on occasion i'm like man if if only you knew how this worked right and, and i know it's confusing as fuck but but kevin feige should come out and say hey spider-man this and this we touched this this and this we have nothing to do with i know it sounds shitty but like man they, they've kind of done he's he's kind of done that there was that awkward interview or a press conference with amy pascal the woman who um had or at, least at one point was a head of sony um mm-hmm. where i think there was a comment where she kind of was alluding to i forget if it was either venom or the spideyverse film i think it was venom of whether or not it was gonna be a part of the mcu and there was like some backtracking on feige's part and i don't know if that's what changed the the rumored plan to have Holland have a cameo in Venom, but I mean, all there all there is really to understand is that you know if it's not being put out by Disney or being produced by Marvel Studios, like it's not a part of the MCU. Um, right, right. You know, right. so but that's Sony's benefit for agreeing to play along because now they've launched a Venom movie and they have a Spideyverse film and you know their plans are greater than that even in, in the coming years, but. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see how how 
how financially successful Venom and Spideyverse. I have like a I have a weird feeling that like I don't I don't know that the Spideyverse film is gonna. I don't I don't know I don't know how it's tracking right now, but I, I have a feeling it's gonna get swallowed up a little bit and not perf- not perform as well. There is no MCU movie around the holidays. There is no Star Wars movie this year. Mm. So doesn't Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse kind of fit into a slot that sort of scratches that itch? I don't know the exact date that it's coming out, but I just think that even being family programming, I think whatever whatever it becomes, like, you know, Aquaman still coming out and whatever that untitled Deadpool PG-13 thing is, is coming out, even if it's just a PG-13 version of Deadpool or Deadpool 2. Um, and, uh, you know, there's other there's other family programming coming out i mean that 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 holiday stuff is so mary poppins returns and like there's tons of other things coming out maybe not so much the same niche as like a a comic property um that's animated but i don't know i just i'm very curious to see how it performs i think venom will do okay opening weekend but then drop off massively but I mean, this this looks really good to me, and I'm really in on seeing it. I'm sold. Like, I love the idea of what the story is, but I just got a I got a gut feeling that like it's I don't know what I don't know what a good performance is for because I don't know like what the budget was or really what it's tracking. But I just I just get a vibe that like it's it's people that are in the know or like you know following this stuff are stoked on it, but I don't know that there's a general public awareness and or want for it. Mm. So I'd be curious to see what happens with it. So, is that, is that is that is that the is that the slate that we got for today? I think so. I think so. Ronald, you got anything else on your mind? Anything? Uh, um, you're looking forward to? Yeah. I, I, um. Well, I heard some news about the Deathstroke movie and Gareth Evans being dropped off. Um. So I I was excited about that, and now I'm not excited about that. But that's not happening this year. So is it still uh, Joseph Manganiello? Yeah, he's tentatively cast to be Deathstroke, and then like, oh well. I, I bet I bet that movie never happens. Yeah, I think it's gonna get canceled. like the Gambit movie with Channing Tatum. <laughs> right. I heard some some news that that might reemerge or something like that. The Gambit movie. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't see why it would now that Marvel's got it. You know, like the interesting thing is your buddy Kevin Feige. He's gonna be in charge of all the X Men stuff now. <laughs> So yeah. he'll be the one who decides. Which is a move that I approve of. A uh, quick thing I wanted to know your take on. Um, uh, Kerry Fukunaga on Bond 25. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like it's just kind of doubling down on the the, the tone shifting from what Bond films are. I mean, I, I'm a fan for sure. But um, I feel like his filmmaking and you know the TV shows he's been involved with, they definitely have a certain tone, a certain aesthetic. I, I don't feel like... Um, you know, with Sam Mendes coming on to the Bond films, they kind of like, you know, with uh, Skyfall and, you know, I think he, did he do Spectre? Um, you know, just like the way they kind of shifted away from a lot of the like kind of cheeky fun parts of the Bond films. Um, they became mm-hmm. a little more grounded, a little more dark or serious or whatever uh, they they want to call it. I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like I'm interested to see that film. Um, I Like I said, I, I like him a lot and I think he's... Uh, definitely has a vision uh, for the things that he is involved with and that you know he puts on the screen or on the television but I don't know I just feel like there's something about uh, what their intention is with the franchise in terms of going beyond Daniel Craig after this film like you know what 
if they're going to just double down on that whole tonal shift and, and kind of just what the films look like and what they feel like, um, then, then it's the right decision, I think. But if, if there's any intent on their part to kind of get back to some of that, I don't know that I've seen anything that he's done that really kind of shows a balance of some of that classic Bond stuff that some people miss. Not myself, really, but um, a, lot of, a lot of stuff I've been seeing just kind of... Uh, talking about that piece of it just like what kind of style he brings to it what voice he has and you know it doesn't really have a, a lot of uh levity and you know just kind of that some of that cheekiness that the bond films have even the first couple that brought that daniel craig did have you watched any of maniac on netflix um i haven't watched it yet i watched like the part of the first episode but i got like not because of it i got distracted i couldn't finish it but i I haven't gone back to it yet it's got more of a of a satirical or comedic tone to it and i could see how as it gets away from the kind of setup portion of the story i just saw the first episode um but i really liked it i liked the way it was put together and it did have moments of levity even though jonah hill is completely underplaying for him, and so it's he's doing a very dour performance. But the, mm. there's 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 opportunities for um, uh, humor in this, and I can see how it might get wackier and zanier as it goes along. So I was I was pretty much on board for it. So I can cool. see how he might do something a little different. But I think one thing that you're saying that I, I agree with is, and I don't know what you think of this, Ronald, but it doesn't seem like they really have much interest in changing the tone of Bond back towards something more more fun or more in that classical bond mode. It feels like they want it to be dark and gritty and edgy, uh, right. as is the fashion nowadays. Um, I, I want to shake up. I feel like, uh, I would love to see something that kind of marries the, the two sort of th- you know, the old school silliness with some of the darkness that, that it's come about with Daniel Craig. Cause I like, you know, I like a physical bond, Um, I don't, I don't, some, some of me wonders if Daniel Craig is not capable of those comedic beats or if that's, if it's just written like that. I I mean, he obviously doesn't have those moments, but I wonder if they were created because it was written like that because they may not have thought he was capable of that. So I'm wondering after this movie and you know i'm excited about the movie itself because I, I i am always in for a bond movie seriously did you see logan lucky yeah i liked it well daniel craig was very funny in that he was he was he was you're right you're right you're right so i i um any he, and he wasn't that bad in that other one. Oh god the first like gangster movie that he was in um that's kind of along the same lines as uh it was Produced by Guy Ritchie, Layer Cake. Yeah, Layer Cake. So there were there were moments in Layer Cake where I was like, okay, the, you know, he this guy, there's some levity to it. So okay, so barring the, the the movie we just mentioned, Lucky Logan, I feel like I hadn't seen him do anything <laughs> funny. But now that I've seen him do something funny, you got to make it funny. You got to have some funny beats in it. Yeah. What about the first two Bond films that he did? I fucking loved them. I loved them, man. Well, I mean, I feel like they were much more in line with like what uh They're closer. You know, I guess what You're traditionally right. the Bond they, they, movies were. They are like, closer. You know, walking away from Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Like, those first two people a lot of people love those first yeah. two and it's some other people some people like you know, one or the other might be their favorite Bond film ever. I mean, like I feel like he definitely played up to some of that comedy and, you know, the 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 you know, cheekiness of the character 
pretty well in those first movies but it just seemed like when sam mendez came on board and made you know skyfall yeah that it kind of changed and i mean like i said that that's probably my favorite bond movie but i just think that you know if you're doubling down on that you're kind of missing out on what i think a lot of people were wanting from those films and like you know you can see how over time they've made less and less money whereas you then i got i gotta mention it real quick because it's one of my favorite movies of the year you know mission possible fallout comes out and that franchise has basically become what the bond franchise was you know it's got awesome action it's got it's got moments of humor it's got characters that you kind of care about mm-hmm. and um you know it's kind of not too serious and it's kind of you know kind of silly at times and it's um doing that really well and i mean this this last one i think might be the most successful movie in their franchise which is insane and you know it's kind of going on the inverse for the bond franchise and now kind of getting a filmmaker who definitely is an impressive talent um i know danny boyle was on it for a moment and then kind of bailed and now fukunaga's on it i wonder if it actually happens but um I don't know. It should be interesting though, because I mean, I feel like it's it's there's got to be a balance. Because I mean, I think that the last couple ones kind of dipped off. You know, each one has kind of dipped off, and you know, because that I think it's because of, you know, the tone and like the the more gritty, the physical Bond, and you know, like you were describing. But um, yeah, agreed though. I will see any Bond film. I just I'm curious what they what their plan is for this, and more importantly, past Daniel Craig. But right, it is kind of odd at this point when it feels like Daniel Craig might be on his way out to bring in yeah. a director. Yeah, it almost seems like they're they're going to be wrapping up something in the vein they've been they've been mining this whole time that they're not going to try to do something different. But when Danny Boyle was on, it did sound like maybe something different was going to be happening. Right. Um, they even brought back their usual screenwriters to 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 take another whack at the script. Mm. So it does feel right. like whatever they were going to do with Danny Boyle is not happening now. Right. And you wonder, was that, was that going to be interesting and fun? And that's the reason they didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. You might assume, cause it seems like the opposite end of the spectrum. We shall see. Um, I want to just make a quick comment about, um, the, the day that this podcast is coming out mm-hmm. on Netflix. If you subscribe to Netflix, I'd also like to, remind and recommend uh the new season of big mouth that's coming out on netflix it's a animated series on netflix that nick kroll uh, produces and um, it was one of my favorite tv shows last year came out around the same time last year the season one did and uh, the second season is coming out um the day this podcast comes out and we planned it that way obviously um coordinated with kroll and everybody and we kind of yeah. got it lined up perfectly and um kroll Shows up on every podcast. He should come do our podcast. He yeah, should. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the last step in the whole partnership that we kind of got together. We're still waiting for him to get back to us <laughs> via email. Yeah, don't be afraid, Kroll. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just wanted to put that out there because I love that show. And uh, the second season looks great. And the word on it so far is that it is, in fact, great. So I'm excited to watch that this coming weekend myself. And uh, hopefully maybe you guys can check it out, too. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Yes. I think that's all I got, fellas. Same. Um, John, anything else to add? I had one quick take I wanted to get from you guys. It's not even a movie, but I just wanted to hear your your quick thoughts, if you have them, on the new season of Serial that's out. I haven't started yet. Um, yeah, I've only listened. I've listened to two episodes. Um, I'm I'm into it for sure. Um, I don't know how I feel about it so far. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's weird. I don't, I don't know. I feel so guilty, like just always comparing it to the first season, and 
I think just because there was like a a, a, a story happening behind it, uh, and I'm and, and they're building a story with this season, obviously. But the first two episodes that I was able to listen to, they were kind of a bit disjointed to me. But I, I get what they're building to or what they're trying to say. Um, it kind of blows my mind how much access they got um, to this court system and like how much they were able to record. Yeah, Ronald, do you know the concept of the season? That that, that basically they're focusing on the goings on around these uh, these courts in Cleveland. Yeah, it's all these kind of petty crimes and small things that are connected to big things, and you get to know this weird judge yeah. who really kind of runs roughshod over someone's life once he's taken an interest in them, and it's really kind of uh, horrifying. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then in the first one, it was an interesting tale of privilege and where that drops off and. Uh, it was very thought provoking. It got a little, I got bogged down in the third episode, but the fourth one that just came out gets into some pretty deep stuff. So it's it's a great way, Ronald, to, for them to address some smaller cases. But I kind of know what Steve's saying about just the general tone of the show being something that it's hard to say I'm as into um, without that without that through line story that's just so compelling from the first episode. I think the the style of Sarah Koenig's narration can sometimes seem a little detached, and sometimes she seems naive and i don't know if it's willfully naive but she seems a little sheltered yeah absolutely like she's a, an anthropologist amongst these humans <laughs> i've enjoyed it but um it it doesn't have that sort of uh, addictive quality as the that the first season did yeah the fact that i have two episodes in my queue that i haven't listened to kind of just states that plainly yeah oh damn <laughs> but i mean you know i can't judge it yet it's not it's not i'm not caught up so no, it's it's well produced storytelling. I mean, it's just like the others in that respect. It's well yeah. done. It just it's yeah. hard it's hard to beat that feeling you had when you were discovering this new genre that I think now has just become very, very familiar. The genre of unspooling a true crime story on a podcast. It's not a very special thing to do anymore. So you have to kind of really have a great story or something to say. Have you um just real quick now that we're talking about this podcast stuff um like with the true crime piece, have either of you checked out a podcast called Last Scene? No. It's pretty good. I mean, like, I'm hooked on it. It's got... We're talking about this, like, compelling storytelling, um, like, I need to listen to the next episode kind of thing. It, it's it's pretty good. Um, it's basically... I forget what outlet's putting it out. I think there's maybe, like, four or five episodes out. But it's about this um, art heist that took place in Boston in, I believe it was the early 90s. Mm. Um that is still unsolved and um that basically is like the biggest art heist ever that especially i i don't know if it's the biggest unsolved one or the biggest ever but um basically like these two thieves got access to this you know this um i think it's the gardner museum in boston but like you know basically stole all these like super valuable pieces of art and um, it's been investigated ever since then, and there's like very little leads. There's theories. There's you know conspiracies, and there's suspects that weren't pursued, suspects that were that shouldn't have been. Just like kind of that kind of narrative, and just the fact that it's still an unsolved thing kind of feeds into that you know that um, amateur sleuthness of what a lot of people get out of these true crime things because it's it's a mystery still, you know, and that's kind of um, it's still something that's a little more rare in a lot of these things that are happening. Cause a lot of the ones that are out on the podcast channels now are, are things that, you know, they're revisiting, you know, um, wrongful convictions and things like that. But this is something that like literally is still, they have no idea where these pieces of art are and wow. it's kind of crazy, but it's called last scene. Um, if you're looking for something else to add to your queue, I would, I would check it out. 
Let's see. I'll check it out. And I and I have no I don't and I have no interest in art like you know fine art any of that's like it's not a it's not an interest of mine but I mean ew gross art yeah, yeah I know ilk but I don't know it's not it's not like on paper something that just immediately was like oh yeah this is something I'm into but the idea that it's still unsolved and like what the value is on the pieces that were stolen like it's it's insane like what uh you know the FBI has done um to try to solve this and. And, and again, this is another thing of like, you know, they get this amazing access to people that were involved, people that were security guards that were on duty when this happened. And, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And also one more podcast recommendation, the new season of Crime Town came out. Last one they did was, um, Rhode Island. What, wait, yeah, Providence, Rhode Island. And this season is about Detroit. And, uh, the first episode came out this week was pretty awesome. Now, now we've become a podcast recommendation service. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know we dip into it uh, every now and then. I remember a while back, I, I believe it was on one of the Thanksgiving episodes, maybe that we it was we talked right. about cereal years and years ago. Um, years and years ago, it was two or three years ago, and uh, so it seemed like it was worth following up. But it's nice to it's nice to know what you guys are listening to. Have you yeah. been checking out any any podcasts lately, Ronald, that are burning up your ear holes? Um, I'm into the uh, the scripted podcast Wolverine: The Lost The Long Night. Um, I'm really, really into that. Um, it's it's one of the I, I just don't listen to a lot of scripted uh, episodic podcasts. And um, if you if you want something that has really good sound design and Wolverine and a bit of mystery and scripted, uh, this is a really good podcast. Uh, Stitchers, uh, it's official Marvel Stitcher collaboration, and it's it's definitely worth checking out. Um, that's one of the ones I'm listening to <clears throat> Hollywood Reporter podcast um, I, I'm always listening to that either of you guys been checking out In Voorhees We Trust with Gorley and Ross that is so weird that you just said that I was about to just chime in and say in the spirit of the of the season yes good. I love it it is so fun isn't it Steve <laughs> it is amazing yeah, Paul, was it uh, Matt Gorley and Paul Rust? Matt Gorley and Paul Rust, who basically are just there. You know, Matt Gorley is involved in a lot of improv and sketch in L.A., and he's been he's he's been had his fingers in all kind of pies. And he was part of the Earwolf expansion when they started adding a lot of shows a couple of years ago. Ronald, yeah. he was a producer to a lot of those. Um, and you know, Paul Rust. Well, they just every episode they take a Friday the Thirteenth movie and they talk about it in detail, and they go on two and a half hours sometimes and sometimes I'm like give me more it's just such silly banter but they get so deep it's one of my most awaited podcasts every week mm. uh, is that show strangely enough. yeah same here I actually signed up for the Stitcher Premium just to be able to listen to that podcast uh, yeah that's it that's all I got yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, 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 boss, yeah. <laughs> sound, sound like my little my, my my little girl. I was like, she's starting to do the no, yeah, yeah. Like she's get, she's getting that that down and like the head nod. <laughs> cool guys. Well, dude, awesome getting together. Um, glad we could talk about some of these trailers. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to catch up some time soon. I mean, we got a couple things planned. Hopefully, we can see this through for this month. Um, the Candyman thing that John mentioned and. Hopefully we can get together for an episode of just specifically some sort of horror Halloween themed list episode, hopefully. Um, I would love to do that. Maybe even with a guest. Yeah, maybe even with a guest. We don't even know. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. Um, But that'll be really cool. And hopefully we can get that out just in in time for the holiday. Um, You can find us at moviesmovie.com. 
whatever podcast service you use to stream your other podcasts that you listen to and that you're listening to this on, hopefully you can leave a review. Um, if not, you can definitely leave reviews on Apple podcasts, which is one of the best search engines and where most people find podcasts. So if you can, it'd be really great to leave a rating or a review or any kind of thing like that to let people know what you think of the podcast. Um, it helps us. It helps people looking for other movie conversation pieces like this. And, uh, we'd really appreciate it. Um, I got nothing else, guys. If you're if you're comfortable with the way this is ending right now, I'm gonna let it just go, and we're gonna go into that long dark night and uh, close out episode 223. I'm right there with you, boss. All right, man. Well, as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye.